This week on Notorious Scoundrels Podcast. All right, so you you don't have a, a higher bid than your opponent, and you're playing key positions, and now you have key positions as red. Welcome to the Notorious Scoundrels Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Notorious Scoundrels Podcast, where Dashes and Orchimedes from Never Tell Me the Odds join Endless from Yavin Base to talk about Star Wars Legion competitive play and improving your game. In our third episode, the Scoundrels talk about key positions, learning from losses, prepping for a tournament, and tackling some listener questions. Um, so let's go ahead and get to our introductions. I'm Dashes. Um, you guys? I'm Orchimedes. And I'm Endless. <laughs> Awesome. So uh, I think today we're going to kind of jump right into key positions. Um, what do you guys have to say about that? Why don't you go first, Art, because I'm going to do a lot of talking later in the show about this topic. <laughs> All right. So um, key positions is uh, the most notorious objective so far in Legion because it allows Blue Player to uh, place two of the objectives. Uh, the only restriction is they have to be placed on terrain pieces. So uh, essentially what people do now is, is if you get blue player, you just, you know, pick the, uh, the two closest defensible, uh, pieces of terrain near your deployment zone. You throw two objectives there and, and you camp out your army and, and make your opponent, you know, advance on you while you're sitting there in heavy cover, taking dodges and aims and firing at them. So, um, I think it's a big reason that we're seeing bids be so high. Um, but, you know, I think most people know or feel like key positions is a significant blue player advantage. I think probably what we want to talk about mostly today is, uh, you know, this how to fix or quote fix key positions has been sort of beaten to death. Um, but I think what we want to talk about today is just, all right, so you, you don't have a higher bid than your opponent. Key positions ends up in that third slot. Blue player being smart uh, vetoes the first two, and and you're playing key positions, and now you have key positions as red. Obviously, that's a frustrating way to start a game, but basically, you know, what do you do? It's it's not unwinnable as as red on key positions. Um, so, what actions do you take? Number one, uh, at that point, and then number two, if you're building a list where you where you think you're going to have a small bid, which you know at this point is like six seven five points or less um how do you build a list to if you potentially get that key positions in the third slot draw how do you build that list to put yourself in a position to at least possibly pull out a win as red on key positions because the blue player has already i guess the first phase would be the defined battlefield step which we already talked about a little bit with the um him using his two eliminations to put key positions in the last slot just guarantee that that is what's going to be played so you've got you know six other cards you've got the three objective or sorry the three deployment cards and you've got the three condition cards blue by virtue of him being blue has already taken the worst of these out of the deck for his list so you're going to have to work with the leftovers first of all to find out what deployment will prevent blue from placing the two key positions terrain pieces near each other it's a little bit tough if there's a lot of barricades spread out everywhere that are between large pieces of hardcover terrain because they they can pick a, a barricade and can pick a piece of that big hardcover 
So it, it kind of brings the two points down to one. So they have a very easy time turtling. So definitely look at where the terrain is. Um, I would strongly suggest avoiding advanced positions because it is the um, one of the lowest total area in terms of what the deployment zone is available. So definitely avoid advanced positions if you can, because that gives blue a hell of a whole lot of room to put his two key positions down. So just uh, try to pick a deployment that minimizes the area blue can put the KP in and pick a condition that helps you advance on those particular positions, you know, maybe even limited visibility if he left it in the deck. Um, Hostile, I'd recommend avoiding because suppression is never good if you're trying to move forward towards something. And even worse, if you have to cling to terrain to get rid of that suppression. So that's just a one practical step or some practical steps you can take in the defined battlefield step as a, a first measure. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that. The The thing that you need to keep in mind in the defined battlefield step is that you pretty much have the run of whatever else got pulled. So you know, they drew key positions. It's in the last slot. You have six different options that you can kind of um, go ahead and determine what your best outcome is, is going to be. Um, so uh, as Unless pointed out, advanced positions is not where you want to be as far as key positions go. It, it frees them up to kind of figure out exactly which terrain piece they can put their um, their objective markers on. So I think actually this is one of the um, deployments that Long March kind of shines on and for the red player. It really cuts off a significant portion of the table. Um, do you, how do you guys feel about that? Yeah, I think you have to you do have to assess the terrain because if you know the one thing Long, Long March does is it narrows your your field of battle and that you're coming at each other the long way, which means it's going to be a much tighter, it's going to be much harder to flank in a long march, which may be, depending on what the terrain looks like, may be important for your potential key positions win. But you're right, it, it for sure hedges out a lot of possible options for terrain. Um, and if you're looking at the board and there's a lot of like large ter- terrain pieces um, and not a lot of barricades, it's very possible that you could actually force a somewhat centrally located second um, second blue objective with long March, just because it, it eliminates so much, you know, of the battlefield. And if you've got a lot of like large terrain pieces too, um, for a terrain piece to be eligible to be selected for a key position, it has to be entirely outside of a deployment zone. So even if that long March sort of just clips a given terrain piece, that terrain piece can't be chosen. So, um, definitely look at the battlefield and see what terrain pieces you're actually cutting before you, you know, remove your ability to, to flank or limit it. But um, yeah, long march can certainly be good if you're trying to just force the battle towards the center, which is absolutely what you want to be doing. Yeah, to that end, uh, you know, Endless, I, thought you, I think you brought up limited visibility as well. Um, that's, that's a really strong condition to be able to kind of play, it, assuming they didn't ban it, which they more than likely did. Um, but if it does come up and you can get your hands on limited visibility, allowing yourselves two turns of kind of unmolested approach uh, seems really good. It would depend primarily on what they brought. Um, if they're an Imperial player who brought, you know, say a Weiss ATST snipers, 
or just, you know, any kind of long range shooting snipers in general, like Imperials hate limited because they lose out on some of their biggest assets, like the DLT for a couple rounds. Um, but if they're bringing, you know, saboteur say with a Lucan, they're probably keeping limited in there because they don't really have, you know, exactly a monopoly on the long range shooting. They want to hide as long as possible and delay so that you can't actually make contact with their positions. So they would have limited in there, but that kind of, it can work against them as well. But if they're not shooting you anyway, then what's the difference? And like you said, they could just outright ban it during the defined battlefield step. And so yet another reason why blue is so highly prized is because you get to remove those cards that you hate. Yeah, you get basically three vetoes before you even draw cards. Yeah. Um, I think Major Offensive can be really good too just because it it hedges out quite a bit of the battlefield, but you're not, you know, you have potential flanking opportunities still uh, just because it's corner to corner. But you really just got to look at the terrain, you know, see given the various deployments what your opponent's options are going to be and go from there. Yeah, so um, I guess once you get past the defined battlefield step, uh, Endless Orc, what do you guys think the next step is as far as figuring out what your battle plan should be to kind of tackle what is possibly the hardest draw in the game presently? Find a good place for your own KP. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, that's, that's step one. You, you have some, some personal experience with that recently, Endless. I did. I, as, as I, this kind of goes into a larger um, discussion about learning from losses as well, but uh, which we're going to get to later in the show. But KP placement, your, your home KP is really crucial. I say KP, I mean your home objective token, the terrain piece you pick uh, for two reasons. One is you need something very defensible yourself because if blue ends up having room to pressure you in your home territory, it is very possible. He can just blast you off your own, your own key position and just take it from you. And then you'll be, you'll be up a Creek without a paddle. Uh, the other idea behind putting your KP down is, you know, putting it in a place that not only is it out of reach for blue, and then he can't pressure you. It also has to be easy for you to defend as well from high-speed flanking units like speeder bikes or from Boba Fett. Um, in the in the game that happened to me, and this has happened to me, it's happened to a lot of other people, where blue can kind of wait. And then if, if an opening happens for blue or you can push out, blue might be able to come across the map to your side of the map, push you off your own KP, and just shift his army over so that the the rearmost point for blue he never lost control of so even if you take his frontmost point from him he took yours so it's still going to be a 2-1 victory or 2-0 victory for blue even if you um manage to break him in one area of the map he just shifts over and runs from you so you have to place it in a place where it's going to be difficult or impossible for him to shift to yours and recapture either through just defending it really well, committing forces to defending it, which is difficult because you're probably committing more of your army to attacking him than you are to defending, which, you know, where that's where the opening occurs. If you only leave like one unit behind, you can see that and come over and just kill it. And then you're, you're sunk. And you could also need to place it somewhere that, that blue 
you know, couldn't get to it efficiently. If that is what you're going to do, find a spot for it where he can't reach it without going through the main body of your army. Or if he wants to get there, he has to spend a whole lot of movement away from the main battle to get there. So putting it in kind of in like a distant part of the board where, you know, it's very tough for him to go, or you could like hide a strike team or hide like a 40 point trooper squad. That's probably decent or putting it in a place where it's just completely line of sight blocked, but still moderately close, just close enough for him or close enough for you to defend it. If he attacks you, but not, not so far away that, you know, blue can't get to it, but things like that, you have to do stuff like that to make it work for you. Yeah. And your deployment too is super important. Uh, You really have to think from the get go about how you're going to use the terrain to attempt to safely approach your opponent's key positions. And it helps to know too, and to think about the fact that the game is six turns and you don't actually score until turn six. So you don't just need to take all your units and rush at the positions as quickly as possible. You can be sort of strategic and if there's like a clear, you know, line of sight blocker off to your side and, and you see an avenue where you can potentially swing some units around that side, then by all means try that. Because there's no scoring on turns one, two, three, four, five or, or five. You know, it's it doesn't happen until the end of the game. So um don't panic. You know, you've got time. To, to take those positions. Don't just kind of rush at those defended positions and needlessly waste guys. Yeah. One thing that we talked about kind of in the show notes before this that I think is, is a really good thing to bring up is that, you know, in turns one through three, you should kind of look at this like you need to table your opponent. Like that's kind of objective A in you know, taking the key positions is that you need to reduce the opponent's army by a significant factor before you can even really dive in there. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's what I have to add to that. Um, do you guys have anything to add on like kind of what the first step is? I mean, if you have a good sort of decent dive unit like Luke and you see an opportunity where he can do that and not expose himself, then by all means, take that step but you certainly shouldn't be like russian rebel troopers out across the open to to hit units behind barricades um you know if you can like with rebel troopers for example if for the first few turns you can sort of find a comfortable spot where maybe you can take your own uh barricades or some other kind of heavy cover roughly around range three from your enemy's positions and, and sit there and take some dodge tokens and lay down some suppression uh, then absolutely you should you should try and do that. Yeah, we can talk a little bit also about list construction. And there are some units, like if you intend to be red, there are some units I really wouldn't take. Um, fleets are actually kind of one of them just because they have such short range and you have to approach over a long distance. Although fleets can help you if you find the safe approach just because they have a heavy damage potential. And that's really what you need to be doing. Like we just said, if we have it in mind to, you know, table our opponent and we see that he's Imperial or some other, you know, or rebels, you know, or just something, some faction that has a lot of the ability to dig in, you need that high dice pool to break that cover, to do that piercing damage, to get those block results out of there. Yeah. When it comes to list construction, I really feel that Imperials kind of have an, an advantage here when it comes to, you know, like, oh, man, I'm going to max out my list at 800 points. 
you know, building their list, you know, Snowtroopers, Vader, I think to some extent, Boba, uh, really are kind of built to maybe combat it in that when you're advancing during key positions, you're, you're giving up something, you're giving up an aim token, you're giving up, you know, a move, you're, you're giving up an attack, something, you know, you need to use one of your two actions on at least, you know, three out of the six turns for each unit to advance in some way or kind of construct your deployment and battlefield um, around what the enemy has kind of entrenched. And snowtroopers and Vader uh, allow you to uh, set up, you know, the, the shots while still being able to move uh, and and I think that that's a really really big deal when it comes to being able to actually take those positions at the end of the game. As whereas the rebels, you know, they're sitting there with their white saves and they're like, oh man, we got to run out behind, out from cover, and you're losing half half your activation essentially to put your guys in an exposed position a lot of the time. Yeah, those rebel troopers need dodge tokens and they need cover. And key positions doesn't really afford you that luxury. That said, out activating your opponent is super helpful. For sure. Um, yeah, if you can if you can get a couple of key last first activations in there, that's huge. And especially when you reduce your opponent's activations early and they just run out of the ability to do damage to you, that's when you can do some work to gain the most ground. Now you're completely free to move without danger being shot until the next round. So you've got the ability to just double move into the heavy cover or whatever is near you to try to get that extra bit of leverage before the next round starts. I had, I had an example from that, of that today, actually, in my game. Um, I was able to put some suppression on some fleet troopers before they could react to me. And they ended up starting the round suppressed, couldn't get an Inspire on them, and they lost their ability to shoot because they just didn't have the range. So it was basically I just took an activation off the board by suppressing them effectively. Yeah, I will say that I think one of the, uh, you know, as we kind of progress down the key positions rabbit hole, one of the easiest ways to win key positions is capitalizing on a opponent's mistakes you know somebody like moves up too far they get a little bit too aggressive because they're feeling really comfortable behind their barricades you know as soon as they make one of those missteps of hey i'm gonna step out behind from behind cover because i really feel confident this game you can kind of shut the door on some of those opportunities very quickly yeah you really have to try and use those first three to four turns to just create some kind of unit advantage like you know Sniping units, getting units on a cover, whatever you can do to do that. Um, that's another way that Luke is great because he can force force push units out of cover or out from behind stuff. Can do stuff. that too. Sometimes you can. <laughs> he can. He's yeah. just not as fast. I know. I'm just <laughs> pointing it out for the yes. material, for you know. <laughs> yeah, Vader, Vader can't get on there. He <laughs> <laughs> might be able to do that on like turn no, five no. when he finally gets there. <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, actually force pushing stuff out from, from behind covers, um, a really solid tactic in general, but I think especially on key positions when your opponent's likely to be entrenched. Um, and when you do that, make sure that you do it on a unit that has activated already. So they can't just then activate that unit and move right back behind cover and you've wasted force push. Um, 
or you can do it into a standby if you can set up that you know magic scenario that works pretty well with fleet troopers you know if, you, if they're behind line of sight blocking and you pull them right around the corner, that that's always really satisfying if you can pull that off. Yeah, it's so gross. I love <laughs> as, it. As a minor quick aside, uh, I believe it is generally correct to be force pushing units that have already activated, if at all possible. Thoughts? Yeah, I'd I'd say that's that's mostly um, the case, with the one exception being like if you have a Vader or Luke and you're engaged with a unit that you, you don't want to attack, say you're, um, you know, you, you've, you've killed like four of a dude's comrades the previous turn and you're just in melee with one guy and there's another GC target that's already activated, uh, nearby. You know, if you force push that guy, it doesn't really matter whether he's activated or not. Cause you want to disengage from him and then charge another yeah, nearby make sure that you're making that target. attack like as effective as possible. Um, yeah. Right. But that's, but you're right. That's probably, the most common situation where you don't care whether the unit's activated or not yet. Generally you, you want to do it on an activated unit. Hey, if we do an episode on Luke, we can talk about being on which side of the force push you're on. Are you force pushing at the start or at the end? And that's a whole subject in and of itself. <laughs> well, it, or, or both. I actually had a game recently where I used force force push three times. <laughs> we won't, we don't have to talk about it today, but there was that ridiculous tree on Kashyyyk and he was just, um, Oh yes, he was standing on the top of the tree, and Kashyyyk just like pulling that, units out from behind it. That sounds Fleet actually Troopers. gross. And for those of you who uh, may not understand what we're referencing, Invader League has a map called Kashyyyk. It's got a very very large tree in the middle that takes up um, I don't know ten percent of the board or something like that. And it's like it's probably height three in game terms, and you can kind of just like sit on top of it uh, with units. I imagine that's what you're talking about right here, right? yeah it's very centrally located and uh you know if you throw luke up there he's very difficult to shoot and obviously it's a big tempting line of sight blocker to hide units behind which makes it also a very tempting uh place to pull units out from behind so there's a picture yeah. of the tree on my blog actually there so you go. go to my blog and look at one of these invader league fight posts so you can see the tree we're talking about it is a very pretty tree. It is. It's beautiful. Tyrion did a really good job to, uh, creating it. So Hashtag check, it, check it out. Um, <laughs> yes, so kind of to circle us back around to key positions. Um, you know, force push is a super good tool for kind of getting guys out of entrenched positions. Um, how do you guys feel about like the rebel versus imperial dynamic in key positions? Do you think that it's more advantageous to be one or the other? You know, I'm kind of on the Imperial side of things and that, you know, I feel like red saves are like a really big deal when it comes to having to transition out of cover. Um, I don't know. Thoughts? I do think if you're building a no bid, sorry, a no bid list as rebels, you got to have a Luke in there just because, you know, I, I think, I think he's the single best unit for assaulting key positions. Um, I do think in general, Imperials have sort of the stock advantages with, with the red save and snow troopers. And, um, but if you're going to build that no bid list, you, you really got to put Luke in there just because of how good he is at getting in there, push pushing stuff, killing stuff in melee, jumping over you know, the terrain that's going to be in your way. Um, I suppose you could do it with Han with a, with a timely reckless diversion and then follow it up with sorry about the mess. Uh, that could be a pretty good combo if you can time it right, but I think it's a lot harder to pull that off. 
I have to agree. I think Imperials are really quite good at both sides of KP. Number one as blue, just because they have the range advantage generally, like just on, just on the average, you're going to have, you know, four DLTs, two snipers. I think that's becoming the standard as we go forward here. So that's already six units out of nine or 10 that are shooting range four and above plus maximum firepower plus the Boba backpack rocket. So you've got a ton of long range shooting. Um, but as red, you have snow troopers. So blast weapons are amazing for killing things that are dodged in heavy cover, which is usually what you'll be facing if you face a blue rebel on KP or if you face a Imperial on KP. So they've got they've got some tools for both sides of it. And I would definitely say Imperials have the better options. Yeah, cool. Um, so I think the last point we might want to hit on this key positions discussion is just kind of uh, maybe not tilting. Uh, it, <laughs> you know, I think last last uh, episode we suggested that, that we were going to head to a salt mine. Endless, do you want to take it from here? <laughs> Gosh, yeah. So if you want to, if you want to hear um, a recording of my salt, you can go to my Twitch channel and listen to it. I actually commentated my own game. Um, it was the wor- my worst nightmare picking, keep getting key positions as red on this map. Uh, it was a Lothal map, Lothal town, or something like that. For this is the online invader league we're talking about here again. But uh, I really made a good effort not to be mentally defeated, knowing that things were not in my favor. And I think that's kind of just a good general tip, but especially KP is red. You kind of just acknowledge that the pressure is on you and get back to playing your best game as quickly as you can. There is definitely a danger of playing worse if you're mentally defeated or just uh, continually angry that you drew into this stuff. And uh, I'm trying to adopt this policy. Uh, never resign. Just don't do it. You know, we're all we all make mistakes. There is no perfect player. Your opponent could screw up and lose the game. You you always have to hold out hope and just keep playing until the end. Just never give up and and don't be so don't be so salty and don't let it get the best of you. Basically, and you just have to say okay. You know. I'm in, I'm in a KP game. Red is, I'm red. Okay. I'll just go back to doing my best job. Yeah, I was pretty impressed actually. And obviously we, since you were streaming it and you were streaming player audio, uh, we were getting sort of your play by play reactions to everything. I was impressed at how quickly you recovered and focused. Um, and you actually almost won that game. Yeah, I it missed it by close. one shot, actually. From from where you started with those rebel troopers dying on top of that building to where you ended up, I was I was pretty impressed overall. Thank you. Yeah, I think, you know, if if you hadn't uh, thrown those rebel troopers up there, even though it's heavy cover, they're still rebel troopers, <laughs> um, unfortunately. Yes, unfortunately. And... Um, and uh, and then also maybe placed your objective as you alluded to earlier a little bit farther. Right. Um, I, th- I think you would have had it. Um, cause, yeah. Cause he, he was able to, you actually did take one of his two objectives pretty, pretty capably, but he was able to shift kind of over back towards yours. Right. He, he did something we discussed earlier, which was shifting over and recapturing 
um, my backfield objective. And he was able to do that easily because I was a little bit too aggressive with my backfield units and they got killed by flame troopers. I had too much to do on any given turn to manage my assault going forward. And he was able to shift his focus to attacking my home position. And he just took it from me. So even though I, I would have won if I had kept it, it ended what up just not you going say my you way. you learned from that loss? Hundred percent, hundred percent. I learned. I learned a lot about, uh, you know, actually was enlightened as how possible KP actually can be as red. It's just a really uphill struggle. Really, really uphill, and there are some situations where counterplay is hard to find for sure. Yeah, I don't think we're we're definitely not saying it's unwinnable, um, but it is. You know, it's it's a big reason to bid. Yeah, let's put I, it that way. I, yeah, a huge I reason. All agree that blue player is certainly advantaged, regardless of what the starting scenario is for for red player here. Right? They get five vetoes. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, there's been some talk. I think on on the Discord and on Facebook and stuff about like what bids are reasonable for. KP, do before we kind of transition into this learning from losses bit, do we want to talk about that at all? Go big or go home. Go big or go home. So what is what is big to you? Unless well, big to me is like twenty plus. But okay. people people might look at me like I'm crazy. I'm not saying I'm go, looking at you like you're crazy. Right I'm not now, saying so. I'm not saying go out and play lists with twenty plus bids. But uh, the extreme the extreme. Uh, ends are approaching 25 to 30 and there's at least one person in the community that would say 25 is a good starting point that i know about so it's not the size of the bid it's how you use it <laughs> there you go there you go yeah exactly yeah i mean uh, if, if you look at the like the invader league bids um most of them were in the teens there was one that was like 19 i'd say most of them were between 13 and and 15 does that yes. sound about right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, and then there were a couple straight up no bid lists, which I would say is anything less than like a four point bid. Um, well, really anything at this point less than like a seven point bid. But I think I think if you're, you know, when you're constructing your list, you want to try and be either at the far end of that range and have a big bid or you want to just say, screw it. You know, maybe I'll bid a couple points to potentially get lucked into blue if i if i play another player who's got like a 799 or 800 point list but um if you get kind of stuck in that middle and you're you're losing you're still losing the bid to the players with big bids but you're um you know not maxing out your points in your other games then that's not a good spot to be i think i think you want to kind of consciously decide like am i going to bid or not and if you're going to bid go big or go home and if you're not you know, trying to hit that like seven ninety eight, seven ninety seven area. Yeah, uh, uh, last session we we talked about metas, and this is actually a really good place to consider kind of what meta you're expecting, whatever tournament or you know session you're having with Legion to to have, and kind of gauging where you're building your list at from there. Um, but uh cool so i think that uh that was a really good discussion on key positions is that we want to add anything before we transition yeah just one note um 
just to make you even more confused, the four <laughs> finalists of the Invader League, there are two lists running massive bids, both Rubble, and two lists running no bid, both Imperial. Just to make you even more confused. <laughs> well, I, I do think that goes a little bit earlier to what you said, which is that if you want to run a no bid list, Imperials have a, have a little bit easier time doing it. Yeah, Most the Rubble... Of the, Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say most of the the, the Bubba Veers lists that, that we saw in Invader, and um, obviously one of these two lists is a Palpatine list, so maybe this doesn't fit the mold, but most of those lists uh, had pretty small bids because I, I think players felt like between Bubba and Snowtroopers and those red die saves that if they really had to, they could assault key positions. And the two Rebel, Rebel lists that are running bids, one is 17 and one is... Oh my god, 29? It's, it's an insane bid. That's it's insane. insane. That's insane in my opinion. It, it's it's actually Ellis's bid. Yeah, it's 29 points. It's 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 19 because Chewie's cost is not correct. Oh, in, okay, uh, it's 19. Tabletop. Sorry. Yep. That's incorrect. Okay, so 19 and 13. So well, I guess we don't, up. <laughs> we don't know whether or not it's correct, but 110 is what Invader League is calling it. So Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it, all right, it's not crazy. That's a, that's a fine bid. Yeah, nineteen's fine. Every, everything's okay here. Yeah, we're all fine here. How are you? <laughs> Boring podcast anyway. <laughs> all right, um, go on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, we already talked a little bit about learning from losses. Um, as far as your game, uh, an invader went endless. Uh, or do you have anything to kind of add to that discussion uh, in regards to like you know memory and things like that? Um, not specifically to memory. I think endless was going to hit that, but just for me, I think when I have a loss, I try and go back and try and think productively about what I could have done and what mistakes I made. Um, a lot of times your first gut reaction when you go back and you look at a loss is you're like, Oh man, look at, look at those bad rolls or, or something like that. But that's, you know, first of all, you probably didn't roll as badly as you think you did, or your opponent probably didn't roll as well as you think you did. Uh, they did because perception on on luck, I feel like, is always sort of the grass is greener on the other side. Um, you know, it's a long game; it's six turns. You're throwing a lot of dice for the most part. It's going to even out. So um, it's not productive to attribute a loss to luck. Um, so I just like to make sure I go back and I assess. All right, what could I have done differently to win this game? Um, and I played a great game against uh, Garna Nanana um, uh, last Sunday. Um, and Garn was really good. He's one of the two finalists, or semifinalists rather, one of the two Empire semifinalists. Uh, there are four players currently s- still an invader. Um, and he's, uh, like any good player, he's good at capitalizing on mistakes and not, not letting you get away with them. And that's exactly what he did to me. Uh, I made a couple mistakes. I left some uh, rebel troopers hanging out to dry and, you know, rebel troopers when they're in the open, even if it's a full squad, they can die in one shot, uh, which is exactly what happened to me, to me a couple times consecutively. So um, if you don't have any rebel troopers, it's hard to win. Uh, I actually, uh, so um, there was a, if you happen to be watching the cast, there was a whole sideshow with Luke and Baba on the other side. But uh, ultimately I think I, I lost that game because I lost focus on, you know, preserving rebel troopers, uh, which if you're a rebel player, you, you got to keep those dudes alive. Um, Luke can't do everything by himself. So, yeah, I mean, to kind of piggyback on your thought about um, 
kind of going back over the numbers and and you know what you thought was lucky and unlucky you know i i had an invader league match that didn't go so hot recently um and you know the uh, my opponent, which was Raptor, you know, kind of threw his Luke into the middle of my Stormtrooper squads. He ended up killing like half my army with Luke, and it was embarrassing and terrible. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, after the game, you know, we kind of were debriefing, and you know, Orc kind of like looked at the numbers, and he was like, "Well, you know, I mean, as much as that kind of felt bad, the averages for you know what you, you know, all the shots you took were not as high as you." maybe would have expected them to be. And I kind of looked at it and I was like, Oh man, I just clearly made some mistakes. So I don't know. I, I kind of took a a major lesson from that and that, you know, some of my expectations on like what is currently happening in a game and, and like whether that's lucky or not and, and how to prepare for situations where maybe my, expectation is not actually the average um i don't know if that makes sense or not but yeah anyways yeah that's that's kind of what i mean with a little bit of the grass is greener like you you have a situation and and in your case you're like well luke exposed himself i shot him with like four different units he should have died um but when you actually go back and look at it you know he, he certainly should i think probably should have taken more damage than he did but um you know, statistically, he probably would have still been around to hack up those other two stormtrooper units. Yeah, especially in this scenario we're talking about. You know, he had he had emergency stems. Like, there's no way he was going to die that turn, um, unless I got really, really lucky myself. Um, and so I, I kind of just made a a, a bad uh, guess as to like what how much firepower I needed to throw at him. And I kind of came out on the, on the wrong end of that. Cause I made some bad assumptions during the game. Um, unless, uh, you, you had put in the show notes that you want to talk about, you know, having a good memory and stuff. Uh, what do you want to add in regards to that? Yeah. So if you are, if you're trying to get better, it really helps if you can get a level of focus that goes a little bit beyond the most, distasteful parts of a loss. So you may be focused on, Oh man, if I, if I'd only made this one save, I would have been fine, but that doesn't really give you a whole lot of information about what really went wrong at like a larger level. And I'm going to talk a little bit about 1.0 X wing because this is where I got my start. But I remember when I first started out, I didn't have the ability really to remember all the moves that I made. And without the ability to remember these things, you kind of don't have a context in which to put events. So you'll have that, you know, the dice event where, okay, I missed the save on Luke and he died and therefore I lost. But uh, it doesn't always work at just that very small level. Um, But at least in X-Wing, you know, you get kind of caught up in what you're doing and you don't actually remember what you did. And so you know that you died, but you don't really know why you died <laughs> or, you know, that you lost, but you don't really know why you lost. So it, to, to get, to get, you know, to improve, you have to know why you lost. Right. And you can't just say, well, I lost that time and then walk up to another game and just keep going on your merry way. And people need that, uh, or you need the, to be able to know, okay, well, I moved my troopers here and they shot, and then I moved my troopers here and they shot. And you have to actually know 
right? You'll be able to remember each turn as kind of like a, you know, here's what each unit did on its given turn so that you, you have a, a clear picture of what you did to analyze it from, unless you're like taking photos or having it video recorded, you have to develop that memory. And it just, it just takes practice. You have to really just try to remember it as you play. And without that, without that memory, you're, you don't have a, a framework in which to put individual variance events that is, you know, defense dice and attack dice into a larger context. You know, would I have won if I had moved more units to this position? If I had a third shot there, would that have made a difference? And then why didn't I have that third shot? Or why was Luke where he was? Or why did I play that command card? And what, what other command card could I have played that would have created a different result there? You just having that framework and you know knowing what happened is so key, so crucial. I was going to say so key. I almost did it. Um, but it's so crucial. Like, key on key positions. To yeah, it's remember. super. It's super key to remember the position of the board. <laughs> Get it? All right. Anyway, there it is. Uh, okay. Yeah, there it is. There it is. That happens. Um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Anyway, that's kind of that's kind of this one large aspect of learning is just having a memory for what goes on at the table and not just kind of wandering around in a fog and not remembering things outside of just the shock of losing your units. What would you say are like the practical steps you can take as you're playing through a game to preemptively build up that memory? Just like every time you make a move be very deliberate about where you move your piece and just take your time initially and, and sort of, uh, gosh, it's hard to put this into words. Just have to be very deliberate about your movement and really spend time thinking about it and not just kind of flippantly move your stuff and cohere it in a specific way. But definitely repetition is the biggest thing. Yeah. I know that, I found, you know, in my experience with Legion, with Magic, with, you know, Warcraft and kind of like competitive play and and all those arenas going over and like having a debriefing with like a group of friends about that also saw what happened um, and, and having a conversation about what it looked like, I find kind of like triggers some some memory kind of keys for me uh and and it allows me to just kind of be like oh man we talked about this for an hour and a half three weeks ago i shouldn't do that again or something to that effect Uh, i found that that's helped me immensely in competitive arenas kind of across the field yeah that's a really good point uh because especially if you're at like attorney or something hopefully you have a friend or two that shows up and at least watches your game for a portion of it um, and certainly ask your opponent too. you know, if you have time afterwards, be like, Hey, what, what do you think I could have done differently? Um, what mistakes did you see that you capitalized on, um, and get some honest feedback from them? Yeah. I mean, the most unbiased advice you're going to get is from, you know, your, I mean, maybe not your opponent, but you know, the people that are kind of on the outside looking in and they're, they don't have the bias of how you're feeling or how your opponent is feeling. They're kind of looking at the game and saying, okay, you know, this is what's happening. I'm not attached to this game in any way. This is maybe what should have happened or they they might just see something that the players didn't, you know? Yeah. A third party always sees more than you see because you're wrapped up in the moment when you're making those decisions. 
and and you're not going to be as perceptive as as someone else watching those decisions being made in real time, but also not having the mental burden of dealing with the consequences themselves. You know, you see this like uh, part of the the reason that Invader League games are great is because they're streamed. Um, that also means that people are watching you in real time and they can comment on what you're doing. Uh, so it's it's always fun to go back and look at the comments. And, and of course, if you go back and look at the comments, you're like, clearly I should have done that instead of whatever I did. Um, but it's much easier you know, to see the correct play when you're not in the moment. And I think if you go and talk to people afterwards, or if you watch a stream or something like that, you're going to, you're going to get that unfiltered feedback to supplement your own memory. The biggest thing I can recommend about taking in that feedback is don't take it personally. Like this is never about the person. It's just about whatever game was played. And so you have to be able to, you know, and this goes also into, you know, keeping your head during key positions, just not, not making it personal and kind of just acknowledging events as they happen and just letting them be and not dwelling on them, but do think about it, but don't like dwell on it or take digs at yourself over something you didn't do in the game or, you know, start, start, you know, falling into negative self-talk or anything like that. Yeah, that that can all get pretty dangerous if if you actually let let it take yeah. control of you during the game. Um, I, I I've been I, I've done that to myself on several occasions, and I'm not super proud of it. But you know, um, it just like it's, it's an easier trap than you would think to fall into a lot of the time. Um, but so. We've been talking a lot about learning from our losses. Uh, we also were going to talk today about prepping for attorney, which I guess is kind of uh, the other end of that, maybe learning before the tournament starts. Um, so, you know, we talked a lot uh, last episode about metas and how they shape, how they're shaped and what they are and, and what they mean um, or, uh, you know, it looked like you had pointed out here that research is like a pretty, pretty big deal on prepping for a tournament. Could you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, do things like first you got to understand where is your tournament? Is, is this a friendly local game store? And are these going to be people that you're already familiar with? Uh, maybe you've been playing them already for the last few weeks or months and you're, you generally know what sort of lists they run, what kind of bids they have what their play style is. And if that's the case, then obviously you want to incorporate all of that information into what kind of list you're bringing and what you expect the play style to be like. Uh, terrain is a big component of that too. You know, if you're at a friendly local game store, hopefully you know what sort of terrain setups they use. Um, if you're going to like a convention or something where people are traveling and you may not know ahead of time what the terrain is going to look like, it's a little bit more difficult to do that sort of analysis in advance. Uh, that doesn't mean that you can't still do that. And you would do that by doing things like looking at previous conventions, um, following leagues like the invader league. And obviously those, those are all going to have different. We've talked a lot about metas. Those are all going to have different metas, but people are going to bring those metas to your convention. So, uh, you have to just sort of generally know, like what units are popular, what units are not popular, what sort of lists are people currently running, how much are people bidding, um, 
so just if you just keep like staying plugged into the community, I guess is, is the short answer to this question. Um, the more plugged in you are to the community, the more you're going to be aware of what sorts of things, you know, what sorts of units and combinations people are using, how much they're bidding, uh, what the terrain at conventions is looking like, all of those important factors that you want to kind of know ahead of time before you go into uh, a tournament. Reading articles is absolutely huge. Yeah, I mean, we uh, certainly we have two two blogs represented here, and they're both great for just staying informed. Um, not only do we uh, do some great unit guides, but we do things like talk about tactics, maybe some rules nuances that you weren't aware of that you could leverage, uh, things like that. So um, just consume as much information as you can, um, as often as you can. You know, I uh, I have a, a thirty minute commute to and from work. So, um, I often listen to, you know, I've got, I've got some dead time every day that I can listen to a podcast or something like that. You know, if you're, if you're taking a crap and you got 10 minutes, bring up a, uh, bring up an article on your phone, uh, do some reading, you know? Um, so there's a, a ton of great articles on Yavin base and never tell me the odds. I just have to say, yeah, we can plug ourselves, <laughs> but we can also plug like fifth trooper. You can plug, uh, you can plug a few other blogs and plug Stabcast as well because they're really, really good. Yeah, there's tons of, um, and if you look at, at both of our blogs, uh, there's also community links on the side. Um, and hit any number of those. Those are all very good. Um, also, the Legion Discord, which we've plugged before, uh, is a great place to come and just talk about Legion generally, but also specifically about competitive Legion. Um, people are constantly posting list ideas and, and stuff like that, so... Um, if you join the Legion Discord, definitely you'll. That's that's for me. That was the the, the best avenue to get plugged in quickly uh, to the community and, and talk to other Legion players, especially ones that aren't in your area. You know, um, metas are local, uh, and if you want some different ideas, you know, on the Legion Discord, you can talk to people from Australia or the UK or France or whatever. So you get input from all over the world. Um, I, I would like to say kind of when we're talking about preparing for attorney, um, I, and I am pretty confident in saying I've, I've raised this banner. I think myself over the, the last few months is that, um, make sure you're playing something competitive, but make sure you're also playing something you want to play. Um, you know, I've been kind of standing, I I've put my hill on the Darth Vader hype train and he might not be the best unit in the game. Uh, you know, who knows, but, um, I, I enjoy playing them. So I pretty much bring them to every tournament. Uh, I compete in, I do reasonably well to, you know, above average. And, um, I get a lot of enjoyment out that out of that and, and making sure that you're not sacrificing the fun aspect of the game, I think is also a, a large um, portion of, of what you need to consider when preparing for a tournament. Don't switch to something that you've never played before just because you think it's good. Yeah, I guarantee you the first time you play a list, even if it looks like some amazing net list, you're going to suck with it. Uh, if you're not familiar with it, because it makes a big difference in Legion, knowing what all your units do, knowing how they interact together, knowing what sorts of cards you want to veto in turn zero. Um, so you you definitely want to 
kind of think ahead to your tournament about what sort of list you want to bring and then use that list and practice with it consistently before you go. And that, that all said, like both having, you know, the idea of, you know, you can net list or you can bring something that you, you made yourself, you know, I guess you could call it homebrew or whatever you want to call it, your own kind of, your own kind of creation. Um, Legion is young. It's in a pretty open state. So I think just about every unit that's available is viable. But as Dash has mentioned already, there are certain stipulations to building a list that make it competitive. For example, having two commanders or having commander operative in the case of Veers Boba, having enough core units to get things done, having uh, not taking Vader and an ATST because it crowds out too much of the rest of your list. That's a mistake I see pretty frequently from newer imperial players because they got the core set and the atst and they think they can run both competitively and that hasn't happened yet as far as i know hasn't been successful as far as i know not to crush all the dreams of all those imperial <laughs> players out there but just you know i mean i don't want to go down that rabbit hole but um it's just it's not it's not viable to not take enough core units to score objectives yeah and there's often the sweet spot though uh between the fantasy list that you know man if i could only play this and it worked competitively i'd play it all the time versus the you know ice cold efficiency net list i'm gonna wreck all you noobs with this list kind of list there's a sweet spot you know we're, we're kind of list building shangri-la which is like i got all the fluff that i want and i'm good at being competitive yeah <laughs> you know uh, i agree uh, to the, to that end you know I think that when it comes to, you know, building your list, if, you know, you really need to make sure that the list you're building with your play is solid, you know exactly what, how all the units are interacting. Don't try and introduce anything fancy that you haven't done before at a tournament. Otherwise, you're apt to botch it and kind of just go completely off the rails. And just going along with that, um, we could spend like a whole episode on list building, but I think the number one tip that I would give for, for building a list generally, whether it's for a tournament or even just for your local game store is make sure that everything in your list has a purpose and you know what that purpose is. I think this is especially true, like for upgrades, like if you're going to throw targeting scopes or grappling hooks or something on, you know, concussion grenades on a unit, make sure you really think carefully about why it is that you're doing that because each of those points are precious um, and you'd be surprised at how many points you can save, you know, if you just shave off a couple extra upgrades and then you can fit in an extra unit. So, you know, if you're giving concussion grenades to a squad, ask yourself, like, how often do I really expect this Rebel Trooper Z6 squad to actually be close enough to use those concussion grenades? And is that what I really want them to be doing? Um, so just be intentional about the things that you include in your list and realize that all of those points are, are very Oftentimes, precious. Oftentimes the, the upgrades that you're putting on your units, if they are not, let me, let me back up. If they are unnecessary upgrades, they are often the difference between you winning the bid and you losing the bid. That's a hundred percent true. You'd be better off just shaving them off and taking a larger bid. Yeah, things things like con, you know concussion grenades and stuff like that. They seem kind of you know cool at first, but the amount of times that you get to use them over the course of the game, 
you know, I don't know. It, it really depends on if they're effective or not. If you're using an upgrade, uh, on one action of 12 that a unit is performing is it really worth it to take that upgrade maybe maybe not depends on the upgrade um clearly something like emergency stims if it buys you the extra turn it's great um you know if your opponent overshot you with a large shot it still might be okay because they had to waste some extra wounds you know things like that are important to kind of measure what is and is not important to your list goes back to memorizing what happens during the game as well you need to know you need to remember that that you got overshot and that it was useless or this grenade didn't fire for your next game you have to remember not to take it next game yeah i mean i i think that making sure that you also don't like kind of like fall into the results oriented thinking end of that is also important you probably want to you want to probably want to play like 10 games with emergency stims before you decide that the you know i got i continue to get overshot and so that maybe this upgrade isn't so great or you know i played 10 games with you know my rebel troopers with concussion grenades and they guess what they just want to sit at range three and shoot their z6 you know um but but overall you know make sure that you're playing enough games to figure out what upgrades you do and do not want to have on those units before you you know make a decision about where you want to put them unless somebody else has already done the you know kind of figuring it out for you in which case you know you can find a lot of that information in the articles and stuff online um so do we want to talk uh, about anything else in regards to preparing for a tournament practice 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 yeah, absolutely practice yeah. Yeah, play practice games and, and get your get your cohere cohesion right and get your movement range band stuff right and and if you play solidly usually you can overcome people who are running kind of gimmick lists like triple saboteurs or people who are trying to you know, run like three flamethrowers. Usually you can overcome that with solid play. You call them gimmick lists, but I tell you, they are real. I would love to run like a three flamer ATRT list in a serious journey. See how far you get. I think just, it could just be to actually see. good. Just before we call it a gimmick, I, I, I seriously think Han with Reckless Diversion timed correctly could be devastating yeah, yeah especially until it's an actual list <laughs> right yeah han is tiller made for that actually like sorry about the barbecue yeah uh, yeah sorry about the barbecue i mean you just like you use the reckless diversion to like take the turn and get those atrts up to where they need to be and then the next turn you just sorry about the mess use like a com link and flame a bunch of squads to death it, it seems really good Plus, it's really satisfying to roll twelve dice at once. I, yeah, I can only imagine. I, you know. But if you well, kill you the get, unit, what will, what, what will the other RT shoot if you kill that one unit with twelve dice? There's more than one unit on the board, Atlas. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. If, if your opponent is doing what they should, they should have at least four trooper units on the board. That's four eligible targets for three ATRTs. That's true. Um, I do want to, just while we're talking about tournament prep, give a quick plug to the most recent fifth grouper episode. Um, they did talk about like 
practically speaking, if you're going to a tournament, what should you do in advance of and on the day of the tournament? Things like sleeping, uh, you know, eating food, bringing food to the tournament. Um, because uh, I can, I don't know about you guys, but uh, I'm kind of like the people on the Snickers commercials. You know, you're not yourself when you're hungry. Mm. Um, my brain is, is, is in like two different states. One of those states is functionally useless for purposes of playing Legion and one of them is not. So um, whatever it is that you need to do, you know, sleep, eating, drinking water uh, to get yourself in that correct gameplay state, do that. Yeah, I, I could not agree with that more. The I, I'm not so much on the eating train. I tend to be, I think, a little bit more effective when I'm hungry. But hydration is super important. You cannot play, you know, a, a tournament of Legion for four rounds a day. You know, that's that's like 10 hours of play. Like, you need to stay hydrated. You should be probably drinking a, a glass of water every every hour optimally every other hour if you're um you know kind of restricted for time but um making sure that you're you know maintaining your body's physical state you know you're standing over a gaming table for 10 hours during a day you're gonna be tired and your body is going to whether you know it or not break down a little bit check your posture too like make sure you're standing up straight and not remaining bent at the table because that'll help reduce the strain on your back yeah i felt like that first day at nova i was an old man when i went home i'm like getting into my car i'm like what what is all these things that hurt (laughs) um yeah don't be afraid to sit down too if you know there's like a stool or something nearby but we could we could go down a whole rabbit hole of physically taking your care of yourself uh at a tournament and before a tournament. Yeah, this topic is super broad, but but we've done a whole lot of detailing, I think. Yeah. That's valuable. Um cool. So I think the the last thing that we were gonna talk today was actually a listener question. Um and the question at hand is uh how do you deal with melee units? Uh I, I think that this has probably been preempted due to the fact that Wookiees and I, uh, Imperial Royal Guard, are coming out soon. Um, so, uh, Endless, do you want to start us off on what you kind of would, how do you, how would you think we should deal with melee units? Well, I mean, I think the best, the best way to manage them that I can think of currently is having ranged pierce. And especially Han is a really good way to deal with them, but but just in terms of more like a general general how to deal with them, having to be you know being aware of their threat range and not being afraid to walk backward is actually really good. Um, you know, guard and Wookies want to shoot, want to melee you, and being able to stay one step ahead of them by shooting and then moving two backward or moving one backward, I should say, is probably a good a good first step, and also trying to put like things between you and them like buildings not necessarily difficult terrain because some melee units have unhindered or jump or a way to get around it but just be aware of be aware of how far they can go in a single turn and this is especially true with royal guard when you've got a unit like vader on the table that can play you know new ways to motivate them so they move three times which gives them a huge threat range 
or, uh, you know, say Wookiees with, uh, eventually they'll get scout or Wookiees with no time and then double moving, getting that little bit of bump from no time to get uh, into charge range. So just be aware of the range and, and don't be afraid to walk backward. Yeah, if, if you know one range on your range ruler, know that uh, a single speed two move is roughly just a little bit less than range one, uh, which is about six inches. So if you're worried about some Wookiees or Royal Guard uh, or Luke, you know, make sure that you're at least range two away from them. Awesome. You can also sacrifice the unit to slow them down as well. If you have like a really bad unit or weakened unit, you, you don't you feel comfortable giving up. You can actually just walk forward and punch. This is especially true with stormtroopers. Um, stormtroopers are pretty legitimate in melee. Like they have a black dice with surge in melee. So feel free if you're an imperial to walk them in there and start punching because they're going to do better in melee than they're going to do at range. Yeah, uh, I agree. The other thing is that when you have like a unit that has been like deteriorated to like just its commander, like you can just throw them into melee to completely tie up uh, an enemy unit's like activation. Maybe not completely if they can kill them, but you can, you know, deny them some actions with your, you know, severely degraded unit. Um, But so speaking about that, like how do you guys deal with um, maybe not Imperial Royal Guard and Wookiees, but, just generally units like what do, what do you guys do when stormtroopers start meleeing you what do you guys do when rebel troopers if, and i haven't seen this a ton but rebel troopers jump into the fray and start throwing throwing punches um how do you guys deal with that generally well hopefully you've got at least one melee unit of your own um you know the, the most common scenario you'd see like that is if some stormtroopers need to tie up like some fleet troopers or some other important high impact unit um i i mostly run luke so uh to the extent that i think that's a possibility you know i'm keeping luke nearby my high impact units just so i can charge in there and and swing those stormtroopers off or 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 push them off uh the unit in question you know this works too obviously of vader um i think if you don't have you know like if you're running a han list that it's a little more complicated. Um, you might just have to, you know, take whatever that unit is that's tied up and, and take a, depending on the activation timing, take a withdrawal action. Um, you know, and you might just have to lose a turn if you don't want to just sit there stuck in melee. Um, if it is a unit like fleets that has, you know, surge and black dice, maybe you just punch them back. Um, wouldn't be the worst idea. But there are definitely some units. Um, you know, Han is a perfect example with his three white dice in melee. Um, he's not going to kill anything by himself in melee. Uh, you you got either, you know, if he gets wrapped up by something, you got either withdraw with him or charge something else in there that can take on whatever it is that he's tied up by. Another great moment to sorry about the mess is after withdrawing so you can go first so they can't tie you up a second time. But that's in, in a case of emergency. It's like a dump button. This is we're talking like Vader's in your grill, and you're about to get hit with a lightsaber for all your health. You can withdraw and play. Sorry about the mess on the following turn. And uh, with duck and cover and the dodge token, if Vader doesn't roll any crits, he cannot kill you with a saber throw. Like he can't do any damage to you. Uh, I I will say that you know 
uh, Ork, you brought up force push uh, briefly there, and I know we've already talked about it a lot this episode, but I mean, A, it's a really good upgrade, and B, I think it shines when we're talking about dealing with melee units generally. You know, you can just rip units out of melee. A lot of times when you get charged by a unit that you don't want to be charged by, you know, just force pushing that unit, like, completely into the open so all of your units can shoot at them is is often a really good play and it can be really good too like if you have um you know keep in mind that units that uh are engaged cannot be shot and therefore if they have for example standby you can't strip that standby so like say you have some guard and they charge a unit of fleet troopers or something like that and they don't kill all of them um you know, if you flip that fleet trooper token over, you can take a standby action, uh, and they can't be stripped of that standby because they're now engaged with the royal guard, and then use use loot to to force force pull uh, whatever that unit is out of melee with with your fleet troopers, and then the fleet troopers get a get a shot off at them with their ranged attack, which is probably better. So, um, you know, that's one of sort of the like niche uses of standby, uh, but it can be a good one if you've got depending on how the activation order shakes out. If you've got force push and you've got a unit that has better shooting than melee, uh, you can use standby basically to, you know, pull a unit out of melee and then shoot it with that standby unit. Cool. So, um, that I think kind of wraps that question up for the most part. Do you guys want to add anything else to that? Uh, good luck to our, uh, four invader league finalists we've got uh kingsley and ellis and then uh r1h4 and garnanana yeah we got um, kingsley and ellis a grudge match from season one um kingsley beat ellis with key positions last season so it's gonna be rough especially now that ellis has brought a bid that is greater than kingsley so we'll see if we're gonna have a an epic takedown of last year's Invader League champion by his uh, arch nemesis, self-proclaimed arch nemesis. So it'll be a fun game to watch. I don't know when that's going to be yet. I don't, it hasn't been scheduled, but it's going to be on one of these uh, streams sometime very soon. Yeah, and I like too that it's uh, in the semis. It's an Imperial versus an Imperial and a Rebel versus a Rebel. So we'll, we'll be guaranteed to have Rebel versus Imperial. Yeah, it'll in the at least be thematic for one of these these semifinal games, right? It means we also have a mixed bronze match too by default. Yeah, for sure. So awesome. Cool. Well, I think that pretty much wraps up this episode for the most part. Um, you know, we, we talked about key positions. We talked about learning from losses. We talked about preparing for a tournament and uh, our li- listener question, how do you deal with melee units? Um, and we also got to kind of take a trip down to a salt mine. Um, so... <laughs> Not too salty. Not it too was, salty, it was less salty than I thought it was going to be. No, it was, yeah, it was expended. Uh, so we will see you guys next week. Uh, we are the Notorious Scoundrels. I'm Dashes. I'm Orchimedes. And I'm Endless. Join us next time for another edition of the Notorious Scoundrels podcast. This has been a Fifth Trooper production. <laughs> <laughs>